Amen. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and we're going to walk through this. There's a, a few points that I want to pull out of these 11 verses, and they're, they're going to take us to some other passages. But right here, we're going to start in verse number 1, Matthew chapter 2. Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, we're going to stop right there for just a second, and I want to uh, just get into this passage now, we're looking at the days when Jesus was born. He was, now you know that he was born in a manger. They didn't realize that at the time, but you know he was born in a manger. Um, but the important thing that I want you to see out of this is that these wise men came from the east, and they came for one reason. They came for one reason. They didn't come to get something from the king. They didn't even know what his name was. They didn't know what he looked like. They didn't know what he sounded like, but they knew that there was a king born because they saw his star. Amen? And they were coming to the king with one purpose on their heart, to worship him. That was the reason that they traveled all those thousands of miles. They didn't come to see the spectacle. They didn't say, I want to see something amazing. I saw this star, and I just want to see what's at the end of the rainbow. No, they knew what was at the star. They knew what it was for, and they came, it says, with, for one reason, to worship him. And I want you to know this morning that that is the goal of every seeker's heart. A, a seeker's heart is to worship the Lord, to get to that place where the Lord is. You may have to travel thousands of miles, hundreds of miles. You may have to go through the desert. You may have to ride on a camel. You may have to go through all kinds of issues, amen? You, you may have to turn the TV off. You may have to tell somebody you'll call them later. You may have to turn Facebook off. You may have to do a few things in order for you to get your heart and your mind where you can focus and press in to what your heart longs for. You see, these wise men, they're wise for many reasons. Um, but the, the thing I want you to see, though, is what made them wise was not so much their, their ability to calculate the stars, but that they sought Jesus. That's what makes somebody wise. Amen? The Bible says that wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if these people are wise, it means that they feared God, and they loved God, and they wanted to worship the King of the Jews. And I want you to know this morning that it's that, that one ambition, that one desire that will take you where you need to be. Now, these, these wise men didn't start out in Bethlehem. They started out somewhere to the east. And sometimes when you're seeking God, you'll end up someplace you didn't intend on being. Amen? Sometimes God will carry you through 
places that you didn't plan on going through. He'll, he'll take you through the fire. He'll take you through the storms of life sometimes. But I want you to know this morning that God will meet you when you seek him. God will meet you when you seek him. The Bible tells us, um, if, if you look over there in Matthew chapter 7, let me show you something. One of the, the most amazing verses in the Bible, that, and Jesus spoke this, in Matthew chapter number 7, in verse number 7, he says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, shall be opened. I want you to know this morning that if you'll seek God, you'll find God. Jesus said it. Those that, those that are going around without God... Those that are going around without God aren't seeking God because the Bible says if you seek, you'll find. If you ask, you'll receive. If you knock, it'll be opened unto you. Amen? You're a child of the king, and he laid down his life to make a way of reconciliation between you and himself. And he's gone through great sacrifice to pave the way for you. And if you'll merely seek him, you'll find him. Amen? But how many of you know, how many of you know this fact? That though these, and we don't know how many wise men, tradition says three, but we don't know how many. But this is what I want you to see, though. I want you to see that only these wise men saw the star and came to worship. Do you know that there were other people living at the time that saw the same star but didn't see the value of it? Amen? Amen. And people today, you can, you can tell them about God, you can tell them about Jesus, but some people just don't see the value because they're too busy whittling sticks. They're too busy leading horses to water. They're too busy with the cares of the world to see the value of a Savior. But there are those few, amen? There are those few. Jesus said that, that wide is the path to destruction, but narrow is the path to life. Few there be that find it. There are few that walk the straight and the narrow path, amen? That's why you don't fit in in a lot of places. That's why, you, that's why you have a hard time fitting in some places because there are few. It is, the, it is a straight and a narrow path. Few find it. Amen? It's why sometimes in your, in, in, your, in your heart, you have a hard time fitting in with a lot of crowds. It's because if you walk on the straight and narrow path, it's not many that are on it. It's not many that are on it. And you see here, everybody saw the same stars. Everybody, you know, they didn't have TV at nighttime. They didn't have street lamps. And, and, and so whenever the stars shone at night, everybody saw them. That was what they watched for TV. Amen? And yet, only these wise men see the value of this beautiful star. Now, there's been much speculation about the beautiful star of Bethlehem. There's been much speculation about, you know, what constellation is from and how big it was and was it a comet or was it just some miracle star? What was it? Well, we don't know. We weren't there. But we just know that there was a certain star 
that these guys watched and they saw the value of it. Amen? And when they saw the value of it, they knew it was pointing to the king. And they left their homes, they left their families, they left their belongings, their jobs, they left everything, amen? They left the comforts of where they were. Now, tradition says that these guys were very wealthy because of the, the extent of the gifts that they brought. And, and so they left the comforts of life to go out on this mission to seek the king of the Jews. Amen? You know, sometimes God will ask you to leave the comfort. Sometimes God will ask you to get uncomfortable. Sometimes God will ask you to get out of bed and, and go to church. Sometimes God will ask you to, to walk across the street and share the gospel with somebody. Sometimes God will ask you to do things and put you in positions that are not fun and not pleasant. But if you seek him, you'll find him. If you seek him, you'll find him. Amen? And so uh, we see from this passage in Matthew chapter 7 that those that seek the Lord will find him. You know, uh, Jesus said this also. He said that where I am, there shall my servant also be. Amen? Notice, notice, he didn't say wherever you are, that's where I'll be. He said wherever I am, there shall my servant also be. You see, a true servant of God is continually seeking God. You see, a, a true servant of God is not continually saying, now God, come on, go where I'm going. I'm leading the way, God, come on. A true servant of God is seeking God. Just as Jesus said, wherever I am, there shall also my servant be. Where are you, Lord? Where are you in this situation? Whenever I handle this situation, where are you at, God? Where do you want me to be? How do you want me to handle this, God? I want to walk in a way that pleases you in everything that I do. I want to glorify you in all my decisions, in all my relationships, in all my friendships, in all my business dealings, in all that I do. I want to honor you and glorify you. Where are you at, God? I'm seeking you in this. I'm seeking you in that. Where are you, God? Where are you? Because where you are, that's where I want to be. I don't want to be somewhere uh, where there's great comfort, but you're not there. I don't want to be somewhere where there's great comfort and, 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 and everything's great, but you're nowhere to be found. Amen? You know, one of the things that ministered to me so greatly was whenever uh, Pastor Troy came up here and he was preaching to us and he was saying, you know, he, he, he was, he was a, 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 an associate pastor at a church that had it all. Amen. They had the choir. They had 16 pastors on staff. They had, you know, they had everything, right? It was comfortable. It was comfortable Christianity. But God called him out of that. God called him to go out to places where where it wasn't comfortable. Amen? And, and, and he said, you know, whenever God told him, he said, you know, I had to choose between comfort and his presence. I had to choose between comfort and his presence because it was easy where I was at, but God was calling me somewhere else. And God called him to a, a, a little church for about 10 years, and then God called him to start a mission in New Orleans on Bourbon Street. And just this week, just this week, this guy, you know, led uh, two people off of Bourbon Street to the Lord. Amen. Amazing ministry. But you know what? That's not comfortable. Because the week before that, one of their guys got hit in the face. 
That's not comfortable being down there with all the drunks and all the drug addicts and the prostitution. That's not comfortable, but that's where God called. Amen? You follow where, where you are, God. Where are you? Where do you want me to be, God? Where do you want me to be? And I'm going to follow you wherever you tell me to go. Amen? Every martyr has faced this. Every single martyr that's ever been has faced this decision. Is, is, is standing for God? Amen? Or hiding, shrinking back from duty? Every single martyr has ever faced this decision. There's been so many martyrs of Christians down through the ages. And what makes a martyr is a person who would rather be with Jesus than save their own hide. Amen? Now, you can correlate that down to American terms and, 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 and see so many people today would rather have a comfortable Christianity than a costly Christianity. Amen? But in the costly Christianity is where you'll find Jesus. Amen? He said, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. Are you a seeker this morning? Are you a seeker? Are you ready to cast aside? Are you ready to cast aside the things of life that are pleasing in order to have his presence? Some, you know that sometimes we've got to make those difficult decisions in our life so that we can press forward in him. Sometimes we've got to make difficult decisions and sometimes you may, you may have to have less friends than you started out with. You know the goal of life is not to have the most friends. The goal of life is not to have the most money at the end. The goal of life is to glorify God Amen. and to make it to Beulah land, right? Amen. To make it to glory. That's the goal of life. And sometimes along the way, we may have to change friends. We have, may have to change acquaintances. We, have, we may have to do what we've got to do in order to keep ourselves on that straight and narrow path. And how do you know? Well, I don't know what to do. Well, seek God. And God will begin to lead you. If you seek, you'll find. If you never seek, you'll never know. You'll just be going along, bebopping, and, you know, uh, we, we have a term in, in um, uh, the electrical world called the path of least resistance. If you don't know what that is, it hurts. Um, but the path of least resistance, um, the path of least resistance, I often think about this, I often think about this in spiritual terms, and, and that is our human nature. We take the path of least resistance. Amen? We take the path of least resistance because we take the easy way out. What's the, what's the minimum? You know, what's the minimum? Well, I, I want you to know that, like, just look at these wise men, right? They didn't say, the, if they were looking at the minimum, they would have just admired the star from a distance and, and, and drew a picture of it, right? They didn't have cameras or iPhones, but they would have drawn a picture of it and hung it on the wall and said, there's the star that pointed to the Savior, right? That's what, that's what the path of least resistance would have done. And in, 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 in our lives, the path of least resistance you'll find fruitless. You will find the path of least resistance fruitless, peaceless. You'll find it presence-less. <laughs> you will find the path of least resistance to be a path of where, that God never intended you to go down because God intended you to seek him. God intended for you to cast aside things that are weighing you down, as it says in Hebrews 12, right? Lay aside every weight and every hindrance that so easily besets us. 
What are the weights that keep you back from seeking God? What are the weights? What are the things that hinder you? Amen? This is exactly what I'm talking about, about the path of least resistance. And in our human nature, especially in America, we take the path of least resistance. Amen? Now, I know that you're a little bit different, but you know, a lot of people won't go to a church unless they have a coffee shop and won't go to a church unless they have the, the, the strobe lights and the smoke machines. That's the path of least resistance. It costs you nothing. It costs you nothing. And nobody knows whether you come or go. But God's looking for people that are seeking him at any cost. God's looking for people that will seek him at any cost, that will cast aside every single, uh, every, every single thing that hinders their walk, every single thing that hinders their mind. Even as we go through messages, even when you sit in churches and, and, and ministers preach, do you know that, that your mind can be a million miles away? You can be thinking about bills you got to pay next year, much less tomorrow. The, the enemy will get you to thinking about all kinds of stuff. You know, when you got to get home, if he don't be quiet, you know, I'm going to eat this cushion in front of me, you know, and, and, and I got laundry to do. I've got laundry to do right now, and I've got other stuff to do. You know what? We've all got stuff to do. But if you're a seeker, you cast those things to the side, amen, and you set apart a time and you consecrate it to God, that means you, you make it special to God, that God would sanctify it and say, God, I'm giving you this time. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my mind. I want more of you. I don't need, I don't need to hear more about that. I don't need to hear the preacher more. I don't need to hear more music. I need more of you. You see, if, if, if our songs and our sermons don't lead to seeking, they're pointless. If our songs and our sermons only stir the mind, they're pointless. See, God is looking for the heart where it takes that trip from the mind to the heart. It's what, 23 inches? I don't know. I guess it's different for people with long necks. <laughs> but it, it takes that trip from being head knowledge to heart knowledge. And that's what God is looking for is that we actually long and yearn for him in reality, in reality. And I want to know this morning, are you a seeker? Are you a seeker? Everybody saw the same stars, but only few saw the value of it. Only a few saw the value of the star. See, that star stood and testified Without words, the star testified. And sometimes you may, you, 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 you may be like that star. You may not have all the right words, but you know if you shine bright and you live right, you can testify without words. Do you know that? Um, I, I, I heard one minister say one time, you know, preach the gospel all the time to all men, and if you have to, use words. Now, you know, I understand in order for you to get saved, you got to actually believe the gospel, but you understand the concept that you, just like with women, they can win their husbands to the Lord by the way that they live. Amen? By the way that they live. And, and, and so I want you to see this morning that you, even though you may not have the words to speak, you may not even know how to articulate what you want to articulate if you'll live right and burn for God, 
you will testify without words. When people see that you've cast aside aspersions and hindrances and you're seeking God at any cost, when people see the difference in your life, amen, you don't have, you know that, do you know that if God is real to you, you don't even have to tell people, they'll see the change in you. They'll see the change in you. I remember a, a story D.L. Moody's told about, you know, a, um, a guy grew up in church and he was a pastor's son and, and, the, and he went to the altar, right, every week. I can relate to that whenever I was little. I used to always go to the altar. I went to Hellfire and Brimstone Church. That's what I grew up in, you know, so I, I just knew I didn't want to go to hell. But this, this young guy, he went, you know, all the time to the altar, and, 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 but he never got saved, and, and he grew up, and he didn't know God, and he, he was kind of like that prodigal son. He went and squandered everything that his father had given him, and he, he, he lived a life of, of sin and, and pleasure. He, he did whatever his body wanted to do, whenever his body wanted to do it. He just, he lived a life of sin. And you know, that's a hard road. And there was a time whenever he was broken down and, and, and he ended up going to a, a church somewhere and he heard the gospel and it pierced his heart and he, and he got saved gloriously. And you know what? When he came home that time, he, he had been gone for a long time. And when he came home, he said hi to his mother and his mother dropped to her knees and said, you got saved. Amen? You know, he wasn't wearing a bumper sticker that said he got saved. You know, he didn't send her an email beforehand to say, I got saved. She saw it on him. She heard it in his voice. And you can hear it in somebody's voice when they're right with God. You can hear it. You can see it. Amen? I remember one time I was uh, working in New Orleans, and a guy came down from Kansas City, and my boss said, I want you to call him and get him an apartment and get him set up and all this stuff. And I called him on the phone, and... I just knew, I could hear in his voice that he loved Jesus. Amen? You know, he never told me that. I didn't get an email about it, but I could hear it in his voice. Amen? And whenever, whenever, whenever I met him, I said, hey, I want you to come to church with me. I know you're a believer. And he could not, he was floored. He said, how did you know that? I didn't tell you that. How did you know that? And I heard it in your voice. I heard it in your voice. You know that you can hear it if you'll listen. Amen? You can hear it if you'll listen. Well, this morning, as we're looking at this, I want you to know that even if you're not able to articulate with the right words, you can testify just by burning for God. Just by burning for God. If you'll seek him and you allow the light of God to shine through you, you will stand. You will stand as a living testimony for God. Amen? You, you, and, and you know, some, you, may have to do, you may have to do one of those prayers where you say, God, I don't even know what you've done to me, but if you give me the words, I'll tell everybody. But I don't even know how to say what you've done for me, God. I don't know if I got saved, filled with the Spirit, sealed with the Spirit, licked by the Spirit. I don't know what happened to me, but I know something happened to me. Amen? And if you'll live and burn for God, God will use you as a living testimony for him. And God will teach you. God will begin to help you understand what, what's going on in your life. But this star, it stood as a proclamation of hope for the seeker. 
All the people that saw it, it didn't mean anything to them. But to the seeker, it stood as a beacon of hope, didn't it? Amen? Where, where is this king of the Jews that I can worship him? That star was standing as a place of hope. And I want you to know, amen, that Jesus is the light of the world. They were looking for a, a star of Bethlehem, but I want you to know the true light of the world has come into the world through Jesus Christ, amen? And as we look towards the cross... As we look towards the cross, it is a beacon of hope for the seeker, for the seeking heart. All those that long for God, all those that long to worship him, it stands as a beacon of hope. And I don't mean a wooden cross. I don't mean, I'm not talking about a, a physical cross. I'm talking about what Jesus did on that cross of Calvary. It stands even though it was 2,000 years ago, amen, the, the light of Calvary still burns today. And the heart who needs hope still finds hope at Calvary's hill today. You know the old hymn, the, 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 the blood, um, there's still power in the blood, amen? There's still power in the blood. Now look at this. They, they came, like I said, for one reason, and that was to worship. And let me tell you this. They were not seeking gifts. They were seeking the giver. They were not seeking gifts. They weren't going to God to get something. They were going to God to give something. When was the last time you came to God to give him something, not get something? You see, that tells a lot about the attitude of the heart, whether we're seekers or not. Whether, whether we're seekers or not is when you approach God, do you go into that prayer closet? Do you go on your knees? Do you get on your face before God? And when you do, are you seeking something from him or are you seeking to give him something? Because you know that God called you to live as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's God's will for your life, to give yourself to him. What do I have to give God? You. You may not have money, you may not have, you know, a family, you may not have a fortune, you may not have gifts, but you know what you've got? You've got what God actually wants. He doesn't want your money, he doesn't want cars, he doesn't want all that, cause you know what he wants? He's got all that. He owns everything. But what he wants is for you to willingly give yourself to him. That's the will of God for your life. Present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. That's what he wants. God owns the world, but he wants your love. That's what he wants. He wants you to say, you know what? I love you more than I love all this stuff. I love you more than I love all these things. I love you more than I love all these people. And I love you more than I care what they think about me. And he's looking for the heart that seeks him. Now let's press on in, in this passage back over in Matthew chapter 2. It says that when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Do you know that if... If one or two people will actually get serious and fired up about God, it'll trouble a whole town. 
listen, all Jerusalem was troubled because of these guys. Because they said, where's the king? We want to worship him. If, if, if people will get serious about God, it will mess with folks. If you have a casual Christianity, nobody cares. If you want a coffee-sipping Christianity, nobody cares. But if you're willing to recklessly pursue God at any cost and seek him to your dying breath, people will look twice. And actually, context, it'll cause them anger. Because you know what it does? It convicts folks. When people aren't living right and you're living right and you're burning for God and you're casting aside every weight and every hindrance that besets you, it will stir people up to anger. Who do you think you are thinking you, you all that in a bag of chips, goody two-shoes, and they'll call all kinds of names because you're just simply trying to seek God. Herod in all of Jerusalem was all up in arms because these guys from the east actually thought they could come and worship, right? The king. Well, you know what it did? I'll tell you what it did. Why didn't we see it? Who do you think you, right? You, you telling me that I missed it? How did I miss it? And then he calls up all, the, all, of, the, all of the priests, you know? I got to figure out what's going on right now. Conviction will set in. Conviction will set in. If you'll seek God with all of your heart, the people around you will begin to be convicted. You don't even have to tell them. You, you know, you don't have to wear a sign. You don't have to wear one of those signs on the front and back of you that tells everybody they're going to hell. If you'll seek God with a reckless heart, what I mean by reckless is whatever's got to get out of your way so that you can get to God. Come on. What about, the, what about the prostitute with, with the alabaster box? I mean, she touched his feet. What right did she have at his feet? That's what they said. Doesn't he know who's touching her? Doesn't he know? She risked her life. What about the woman with the issue of blood? She risked her life to get to Jesus. That's reckless. Amen? That's casting aside everything because I, I don't want to live anymore if I can't live without him. If I've got to continue on without him, I don't even care anymore. I just got to get to him. I'm tired of living on my own. I'm tired of trying to do it myself. I'm tired of trying to fight my own battles. I'm tired of worrying about what's going to happen to me. I'm ready to cast myself at his feet because I know he loves me and I know He'll set me free. And I know he'll receive me. Why? Because that's what his word says. That's what his word says. So Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem. He gathered all the chief priests and the scribes, the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be born. This is important. He wants to know where Christ, because these guys are coming saying, Hey, you know what? Your king is born somewhere around here. So Herod wants to figure out, does... Now, if you, if you knew the Bible, you would already have known that, right? But he said he had to call the priests together to figure out. So that tells you right there, he really didn't know the word of God too much. Amen? He really didn't know the word of God too much. So he calls the priests together. He says, where's, where's Christ going to be born? They said unto him... 
in Bethlehem of Judea, verse 5. For thus it is written by the prophet, and then this comes from the book of Micah. Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then when he, when he privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. So Herod, when, when, when Herod figured out that the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem, he wanted to know what time frame we're looking at, and he sends the wise men on and says, when you find him, tell me where he is. Now we know he had ulterior motives. His ulterior motive is because he doesn't want to stop being king, so he's going to kill this baby. Amen? <clears throat> in verse number 9, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, I want to just say just a, a, a quick word right here. They had a break. They had a reprieve. And sometimes in your walk with God, now I know I'm spiritualizing this a little bit, but somebody needs to hear this. Sometimes... You get a little reprieve in your walk. They were seeking God and then some event happened and they had a little reprieve. And then they decided to leave the king. They could have gone back home or they could have pressed on to go see the king. Okay? King Jesus. You know what this tells me? This tells me that they had perseverance. Spiritual stamina. I want you to know something this morning, that if you're going to be a seeker, you're going to have to persevere. If you're going to be a seeker, if you're going to be a seeker of God's presence, if you're going to seek him at all costs, you're going to have to persevere. What are you going to have to persevere through? All kinds of stuff. You're going to have to keep on going when you don't feel like keeping on going. When you get tired and weary and everybody's done made fun of you and everybody's done let you down and you're on your last of your last of your last twitch of peace of mind, you've still got to desire to press on, to press on. Spiritual stamina is a, 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 an unwavering seeking. Why? How do you get spiritual stamina? Do you know that some people have it and some people don't? Do you know who has it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know who, you know who has spiritual stamina? It's the person who has tasted and seen God's grace. The person who has gotten just a, a glimpse that God loves me even though I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel, even though I'm a low-down sinner that has done wrong, God loves me. You've tasted that God is good and you can't get the taste out of your mouth and out of your heart. That, that breeds spiritual stamina. If you'll focus on the fact that God loves you and he's given grace to overlook and pardon your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, it will give you stamina to weather 
each and every storm that comes your way. But if you've never tasted and seen that God is good, you'll quit at the first headwind. Said you'll quit at the first headwind. What keeps you going is knowing that His grace is sufficient. That's what will keep you going. When you forget that, neglect that, or don't know that, you won't have the perseverance to make it through. When you get saved, I don't know if they told you that everything's going to be a bed of roses, but it's not. All you've got to do is look at the Bible, and not one saint of God had life as a bed of roses. Amen? Paul, beaten, left for dead, naked, hungry, cold, starving. All these things that Paul went through. Well, what's, what's different about him than every other one? How many of the apostles were martyred? How many of the disciples were martyred? How many people that were close to the Lord were martyred? And yet, they persevered. Why? Why? What makes them special? What makes them special? Taste and see that God is good. If you've tasted God's grace, it will leave a, a taste in your mouth that nothing else will satisfy. When you know that God loves you and God's given you grace and God's forgiven you of your sins and God has freed you from your past and God is giving you hope of eternal life and God is with you through the fire and through the rain and through the storm and through the trial, when you know that, when you know that you know that you know that, you've begun to taste God's grace and it's more than sufficient. Amen? It's more than sufficient. And what it'll do, it'll produce in you spiritual stamina. Spiritual stamina. And look at the verse, next verse, verse number 10. It says, when they saw the star, so they, 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 they go back on their trip, and they begin, to, they begin to travel again. Now, this was about six miles. They begin to travel again, and it says in verse number 10, they saw the star... And they rejoiced with exceeding golf claps. You know what golf claps are, right? If you've ever played golf and people clap, you're not supposed to be able to hear it. It's the pop, 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 pop. No, that's not how they rejoiced. You see, they, you know, in, in churches today, a, a, a lot of people will, they, they give God golf claps. And maybe they give God golf claps because they're not actually seeing the star. Because when these guys, and you're no different than them, right? They're not better than you. When they saw the star of Bethlehem, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And yet you live on the other side of the cross and all we give God is golf claps. See, what are we actually looking at? Well, most of us are looking at the paint on the walls. Most of us are looking at somebody's head in front of us. But God's calling us to look past all the tapestries around us. God's calling us to look past our, our, our hour, past this time, and look spiritually at the cross and worship God through Jesus Christ, amen? 
and see if joy doesn't rise up in your soul. See if joy doesn't rise up in your soul. Now, if you if 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 you're you know just in in a building and you look at other people and you say, well. Uh, Man, they're going crazy today and wonder why they painted it that color and wonder what time it is and why is this and there's a kid under the platform and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, our minds can go in a thousand different directions, but God wants us to worship him, right? He, God wants us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the greatest commandment according to Jesus. And yet, we think that we can get by by golf clapping our ways. And God wants our heart, not our golf claps. God wants our hearts, not our golf claps. You see, the, 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 the angels around the throne don't rejoice when people golf clap. They rejoice when sinners repent. Amen? Amen? They rejoice when people say, you know what? I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. That's what they rejoice over. So they rejoice with exceeding great joy. Now here, here we get into an interesting part of this message. It says in verse number 11, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I'm gonna stop right there for a minute. Three gifts. That's why most people think three wise men. But we don't know. Could have been 12. Could have been 200. We don't know. This is what I want you to see, though. When they came and they found the babe in the manger. When they came and they saw the child, they worshiped. They fell down and they worshiped. You know, most of us, if we would have been there, we would have walked through the door and we would have said, here, I'm doing my thing so I can get credit for it and go home. How long did they worship? Doesn't matter. Could have been a second. Could have been a minute. Could have been an hour. You know, everybody's a little bit different. But the first thing they did, the first thing they did was fall down and worship. When was the last time you fell down to worship the king? See how great faith that was for them to worship a baby? Well, you're not supposed to worship anybody but God. And they fell down and worshipped him as God, as a baby, which testifies of his deity. Now, see, number one, number one mission on their heart was to worship God. If the number one mission of their heart was to get something from him or to give him a gift, that would have been the first thing they did when they walked through the door. But the, the, the first and the foremost thought on these guys' hearts was, I have come to worship. I have come to worship. And you see, that's the heart of a seeker. A seeker is a worshiper. 
A seeker is somebody who pushes other things to the side, right? Oh, this has been a long journey. Do you got any coffee or tea? I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm ready to rest. No, they didn't have time for any of that because they were ready to seek and to fall down and to worship him. And I want you to know that these guys were probably tired. I want you to know that they probably had a million other things on their mind, but I want you to know this. They had a seeker's heart, and a seeker's heart will fall down and worship the king. Well, what if everybody's watching? What if everybody's watching? It doesn't matter. What do you think is going to happen in glory? Everybody's going to be watching. You're going to be before billions of people in glory, worshiping the king, standing around his throne. Well, that's not what I want to do. Well, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Amen. We're not going to be, you know, flinging Frisbees across Venus and stuff. We're going to be in the third heaven. We're going to be in the third heaven. Not, not, not on these things that you see up here. We're going to be past all that into the third heaven where the king resides, whose glory outshines the sun. You're not going to have time to be asking him, why didn't the, the, the so-and-so win the World Series back in 1964? You're not going to be asking him, why didn't this happen and why did you do that? Because when you see him and behold him, you'll fall down and worship him. And you see, these wise men were living that. They, they hungered and they thirsted to worship him, to seek him, to get where he is. They could have taken the easy way out and painted a picture of the star and hung it on their wall. But that was the easy way out. They didn't want comfortable Christianity. They wanted to get close to him. Wherever he is, that's where I'll be also. I'm going where he is. I want to worship him. Amen? I want to worship him. That's the thing. You see, I, I, I always hear people say, you know, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to see aunt so-and-so and uncle this and my cousin and I wonder if my dog's there and all this stuff. And you know that? I, I have family there. I have friends there. But I have Jesus there. And I can't wait to shed tears on his feet if he'll let me get that close. That's what my heart desires. Because when you taste of God's goodness and his goodness is in his grace that he overlooks your sin and forgives you and reconciles you. When you taste and see that God is good, it'll leave an indelible mark in your soul. Indelible mark in your soul. So what, did, what happens next, okay? So they come and they worship him. They come and they worship him. The goal of every worshiper is one thing, presence. I want your presence. I want to be in your presence, C-E. I want to be in your presence. Look, we're getting close to Christmas, and everybody's mind is on physical presence, T-S. But I want you to see these, these guys, these wise men, they weren't focused on presence, T-S, but on presence, C-E. When I get in your presence, everything else will be okay. 
when I get in your presence and I'm able to fall down and worship you, and that's the goal of every seeker's heart. We don't just worship just so we can just, you know, let our words go up in the air. Worship in spirit and in truth because we're seeking God and we want to be in his presence because we love him because he first loved us. And so while they're, in the, while they're in his presence, they say, by the way, king, we brought you some presents, T.S. Three presents they brought. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about what these three gifts represented. And, 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 and you know, gold represents the, the, the king. It represents that he's the king of kings. Frankincense represents that he's the, the high priest. And myrrh represents his suffering. So most everybody says. It's his royalty and his divinity and his dying that is represented here. But I want to show you a couple of places. Um, I, want to, I want to give you a couple of references according to this. We kind of come down to the end. Let me show you something in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 6. Isaiah 60, verse 6. Because, you know, when the wise men brought these three gifts, you know, they were actually fulfilling a little bit of prophecy. They weren't, they didn't just say, hey, what do you got? Let's bring it. It was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 60, in verse number 6. Now, the part about the gold and the frankincense, I want to show you something. And, and you know, myrrh is also, um, can be an incense. And, and the awesome thing about uh, frankincense and, and myrrh, they were actually used in holy anointing oil as well. Um, but look what it says in verse 6. It says, the multitudes of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. Now, that's to the east. And all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. This verse here is a fulfillment as those wise men brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. You see, that's, that's where they got that from. Well, I don't think that, you know, they said, well, that verse says it, so we got to bring it. God knew before they started what they were going to bring, and that's why God wrote that. Now, let me show you something about the myrrh, because myrrh... It is is um, is there for a special reason, and I want to show you something. John chapter number nineteen. John chapter number nineteen. Why did these guys bring the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh? Well, I just showed you one verse that it's a fulfillment of Isaiah sixty verse six. And here's another reason why we know myrrh represents his death, his burial, and his suffering. Look in verse number 39. It says, There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. Y'all remember that, right? John chapter 3, same guy. And he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus, wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is 
to bury. What is myrrh for? To bury. To bury. So when these wise men brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, it wasn't just, oh, I got some extra myrrh, let's bring it. It represented they knew what was going to happen. It represented they knew he was going to be buried. He was born to die. Amen? That was the mission that he had when he came. I was sharing this earlier. He, you know, when he was a young boy, he was missing. And, it's, and, and, and Joseph and Mary were looking for him. And he said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? What business is that? To correct everybody? No. To die on a cross for the sin of the world. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. That's the mission he had. Don't you know I must be about my father's business? What business? Reconciling the world to God. That was the business of Jesus. Reconciling sinners to God. Those that have no hope. God knew you didn't have hope. And he sent the son to reconcile you to himself. Now, let me show you a corresponding passage for this. Whenever I, whenever I read this, uh, I, I just, just got over, I was overcome. Just overcome. Look in Psalm 45. Psalm 45. Because God's good. God's good. We just read that myrrh was used... Myrrh was given at his birth, and myrrh was used at his death. Let me show you something in Psalm 45. And just so you know who we're talking about, <clears throat> look in verse number 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou... Lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. How many of y'all heard that about Jesus before? The oil of gladness he had been anointed with. Look at the next verse. All thy garments smell of myrrh and alloys and cassia out of the ivory places whereby they have made thee glad. All his garments had the smell of death. He was born to die. He was born to lay down his life for you and for me. He's talking about God. And it says that his garments have the same smell that they bury people with. How amazing is that about our Savior? All his garments. It's permeated he tasted death for all men, that all men might have life through him. He tasted death for all men, that all men might, might have life through him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. This morning, do you seek his presence or do you seek presence from him? Do you seek what he can give you? You know, a lot of people, and, and, and I got to watch myself, I'll kind of get on a, a rant about it, but a lot of people use God as a genie. A lot of people use God as a genie, what God can give me. What can I get from God? And when I don't get it the way I want it, I'm mad, and I'm never going to use that genie again. 
A lot of people only go to God to get something. I want you to see that these guys, and I'm not elevating these guys more than Scripture does. I want you to see that these guys didn't go to God to get something, but to give something. When was the last time you actually went to your prayer closet not to get something, but to give something? God, I didn't come in this, in this closet. I don't know if you use a closet or a living room or dining room table or wherever you pray at. Just say, God, I didn't come here right now to get anything from you. I came to give myself to you. I'm, I'm giving you who I am. I'm giving you my life. I want you more than I want life itself. I want you more than I want a new car or a new house or a new this or a new that. You know, I, I, I believe that in the body of Christ, there's a stirring that, you know, you know it's not sufficient to desire those things. There's a stirring in the body of Christ where, you know, all, all, all those messages of, of, about that kind of stuff are just sounding gongs and cymbals clanging in your ear, but there's an inner longing because you know where you're supposed to be and it's at his feet. You know that you're created to be a worshiper. You know there's something in you that desires to be in his presence and not ask for anything in return because you've tasted his grace. You've tasted his goodness. You know he's good. And you'll do anything to be in his presence. Do anything to be in his presence. Do you seek him? Do you seek to give God yourself? I want to close in one passage, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. After Psalms, Isaiah, then Jeremiah. Chapter 29. Now, this is written, is written to a, a, a wayward nation. There's a spiritual aspect of it I want you to see. And it's summed up in James 4, verse 8. Draw nigh unto God, and he'll draw nigh unto you. Summed up there in the New Testament. Look what it says in verse Number 12. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. You know when you'll find God? When you truly desire him. You'll find God when he's all that you want. If you've got a double heart and a double mind, understand you can't serve God and mammon. You can't have peace and chaos in the same roof. One's going to drive the other out. And if your heart is divided, it's like God told Israel, I set before you, Life and death, blessing and curses, right? Choose life. Choose life. Seek God. Know that he loves you. 
Know that he desires to know you and be intimate with you. And if you'll go to God and give God yourself, seek God with all your heart, you'll find him. You'll find him. This Christmas, no present could be better than to give God yourself. You know that? It's good to give people you love presents. But that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about what God gave to you. Christmas is about what God gave to you, to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christmas is about what God gave to you. Now, what will you give to God? What will you give to God? Will you give God yourself? Will you say, God, I've been keeping myself back from you. I haven't been fully committed into this, God. You know what? Take, take the, the name of the church off of this. I'm not, ask, I'm not trying to get you to sign up for more ministries. Not today. Come back next week. I'm not trying to get you to sign up for more ministries. I want you to give yourself afresh to God. That's it. No Christmas present would be better than to say, God, I've been away from you. I've been away from you, but I love you, and I'm sorry. I've began to seek other things, but you're what my heart desires. You are what my heart desires, God. And God will meet you there in that place. God will meet you there in that place. If you'll give yourself to him, if you'll give yourself to him. Now, if you want to golf clap it, that's fine. But understand, God wants to take you to deeper waters. God wants to take you to deeper waters. Surface level, a surface level. How many of you want to go to deeper waters? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.